And we're moving on into our journey segment. Journey segment is something I wanted to do a while ago because every time I, I you know, I grew up in church and you don't, you'd only hear stories on the stage like glory stories. You know, I used to, I used to be a bad person, then I found Jesus. Now I'm That's awesome. Murder. Yeah. And uh, and life isn't always that clean and crisp and the little bow on it for people. Uh, Mike Iaconelli sort of a mentor by distance, his book, Messy Spirituality, Messy Christianity, sorry, Messy Spirituality is the Christianity that most of us live and few of us admit, or doubt is more compatible with faith than certainty. You know, these are the lines that I kind of align myself with these days. And joining us right now is Judge Robert Lung, and I was told about Judge Lung from uh, Paul Young, uh, author of The Shack. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Author of The Shack. And I said, you know, because Paul gets, he gets to interact with so many different people. He's got all these great stories of different people's lives, and, and those are the things that I really resonate with the most. I said, who do you think I should be? He said, you got to get this guy on. I said, how come? His story. He was sold and trafficked by his own father when Robert was a child until well into his teenage years. And uh, these days, though, in addition to presiding over a diversified district court docket in Colorado, Judge Lung provides presentations nationally and internationally on issues such as, oh, I don't know, human trafficking, childhood trauma, and resiliency. He joins us right now. Judge Lung, sir, how are you? I'm hanging in there. You're hanging in there. Good. Hanging in there. Well, I just got, I was listening on hold to the uh, commercial for my pillow, uh, TDMS. I had to write that down to get myself a new pillow. I, I would encourage you to do so, sir. Let me just tell you. <laughs> I, I even Tim the meathead yep. here has gotten the pillows and he loves them. And then mm-hmm. I've got a I've got a sarcastic, pessimistic friend who doesn't believe anything I say, and she bought them and, and she loves them. So something's going on. Um, so Judge Long, I, I look your story. I, I almost want to just say go tell us your story and just sit back because first of all, you're a great communicator, and. Your story is, I don't think I've ever heard anyone share this, especially from a male point of view, right? When I think of human trafficking, it's usually, oh, the women are shipped off, the young girls are shipped off, the young girls are abducted, or, I don't know, whatever. But for a young guy, for this to happen to a young guy, is this not ex- exceptionally rare, or is it not as rare as I think? Well, yeah, that's the unfortunate part, and that's one of the reasons that I started uh, giving the presentations and... and uh you know, just uh, putting my voice out there was that it's not as unusual as people think. It's just that the media uh, loves to focus on, you know, let's rescue the girls. They don't want to talk about uh, boys being victimized or, um, you know, you focus on uh, male survivors at all. Hmm. If you Google human trafficking, especially um, anytime lately, it's all girls, all girl imagery. Um, in fact, there was a article by a law professor, uh, I believe in Chicago, Regarded that, uh, I think it was 2010, there was 212 organizations in the United States receiving federal funding to combat human trafficking, and two of them were providing services for men. Wow. Less than 1% of the money goes to boys and men. But if you look at the John Jay study uh, from New York, uh, we make up 44% uh, in some communities. In Colorado, they make up, uh, last year, the FBI rescued... Uh, it was almost 19% of the children rescued from human trafficking were boys. So we're getting 1% of the funding. 
Um, and that's just, uh, that's absurd. That is absurd. All right. Well, obviously, what's more absurd is that your father would do this to you. What's your, you know, the earliest traumatic childhood memories, at the risk of sounding a little Jerry Springer here, let's get into this. What, <laughs> like, what was the earliest time that you can yeah. remember looking up to the sky and going, dear God, I want this to stop? And honestly, you know, I didn't know there was something wrong. I mean, he was a pedophile, and he was uh, great at grooming. Uh, so the first thing, you know, he started with just sexual abuse. I mean, just, but uh, uh, sexually abusing, you know, having me expose myself to him um, and uh, saying, well, this is what, you know, fathers do this to help their sons learn about their bodies. And, you know, this is the most powerful man in my life. Uh, that everyone in the world respects. He was a doctor, a very successful doctor. And I thought, well, you know, why question that? This is what dads do to teach their boys about their bodies. Um, so for a, a long time, I just thought this was what we do. Uh, and then it gradually was from molestation to sexual acts to um, rape. Uh, and then about age six was the first time uh, he trafficked me. He sold me essentially to another two other men, um, and because he was so wealthy, uh, he didn't need money. He wasn't trafficking me for money. He was trafficking me to get access to other children. Uh, so he would trade me uh, to people, and I would be trafficked to these other people, and then they would give him uh, a different child to molest and assault, and that went on for about four or five years just like that of uh, sexual abuse uh, from other men. Uh, the crafting. Wow. Uh, and then it abruptly stopped uh, when I was about 10 years old. Um, and it, then when he did um, let other men access me, it wasn't for sex. It was something entirely other world was uh, torture, uh, sort of sadomasochism. He would uh, let other people torture me. Um, and I think the reason he had stopped I mean, he was a doctor and a very intelligent, successful person. I think the reason the sexual abuse and the sexual trafficking stopped was because uh, AIDS uh, was being discovered in 1980. Hmm. And he probably couldn't explain how his 10-year-old son picked up AIDS without, you know, a blood transfusion. Sure. Um, I think that's the only reason he stopped trafficking me. Um, and then um, continued sexually abusing me on his own until about... Uh, 12 or 13, you know, he's a pedophile, so as soon as I started developing, he was not interested. Um, and then somebody else sexually abused me for a couple of years, and then it all stopped about age 15. And uh, if you'd asked me at age 16 or 17, hey, let's talk about your childhood, I would have said, what are you talking about? I blocked it all out. It was completely out of my mind for about 10 years. Um, uh by the way, with your permission, I, I've said this to my interns, you know, when a judge is on the show, you call him Judge Lung. Do you mind if I call you Robert? Because we're kind of getting... I prefer it. I'm not a fan of titles. Oh, okay, good. Thanks, I Robert. Hate, and the funny thing is, I'm the anti-judge. I hate the all-rise. I think it's the dumbest thing we do. But, of course, if I'm in somebody else's courtroom, yeah. I ain't going to stand. Sure, in sure. But in, in, in your courtroom, it's, you know, somebody says, all rise, and you come in and go, sit down. <laughs> yes. It's, yeah, and my staff knows that I'm not a fan, and my court reporters will do it uh, because they like the tradition. So I let them get away with it in the morning, right. and then we return from lunch. But, you know, if I get up for a cup of coffee, there's no all rise. <laughs> okay. All right. Good. 
good. Uh, Robert, when the abuse stopped, I've heard this from other people. The victim, and I don't know whether that's the right word to use or not, but the person being abused somehow in their head goes, what's wrong with me? Oh, yeah. How come you're not abusing me anymore? Yeah. Did that happen to you? Yeah, and it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily that I missed it. Um, I certainly didn't miss any of the torture um, you know, or being killed, but um, I, I did wonder what, what had happened and what was wrong and what I had done. You know, because the craziest thing was, for 10 years, I was trying to figure out how to make it stop. You know, what do I do? Is there a, a way I look? Is there something I say? Is there some act? Is, I just was waiting to figure out what it was to make it all stop. And then when it stopped, I was like, wait, wait what's happened now? What's, what's going on? What's the difference? Yeah. Um, did yeah. you just, did you just say the phrase, being killed? Yeah. I was, um, he killed me once. Um, so I died once as a child uh, drowning. Uh, I was resuscitated. Uh, and then another time, um, kind of graphic, uh, there's something called bagging and binding. Um, and uh, he had uh, tied my hands behind my back, put a bag over my head, and then was you know, assaulting me. Wow. Um, and the you know, method or reason, I guess, is to... Your victim is thinking they're dying. I guess that's a better experience. I don't know. And I died. Um, and the next thing I know is I looked at the foot of the bed, perpendicular to where I was, and he uh, just lifted off from CPR. Um, yeah, he resuscitated me. And then he was mad that I died. It was my fault that uh, I didn't somehow tell him that. You know, face down to my hands, tied behind my back, and then bag over my head. Okay. Uh, as someone listening to this, I mean, I knew a little bit about your story, and um, um, and I think people listening from the be- very beginning would would pick up slowly as we started talking that ooh, this is probably not a you know a good time to have the kids around and and listening oh, yeah. to, listening to this story. So, you know, it's not like we have to sit there and go. By the way, if you have kids, don't let me. You you heard us as we were talking about this and what the journey was and sold and trafficked by his own father. But as we get further into this story, Robert, my goodness, you know, all of our, I mean, you're a grown man, you're a judge, but my heart is just cracked for you. It's just, um, how do you respond when other people just empathize and sympathize and they just, they're broken for you on your behalf? How does that make you feel when other people are broken as a result of your story? Uh, humbled. Um, you know, I, I appreciate it. Uh, and it's certainly a part of the healing process for me to speak on it. Because uh, certainly there was um, years of threats that I, if anybody found out, you know, if you t- tell anybody, if anybody finds out about us, I always felt like it was my job to keep our secret. Uh, and that's just part of his grooming. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I'm able to share, um, that's a human experience to be able to break that silence. Um, and I mean, I was terrified to even give my first presentation on the subject. Uh, and I chose my first audience wisely. It was uh, law enforcement. Because uh, even after he was dead, there was a period of time I believed if I told someone, I would be killed. And as ridiculous as that sounds as a you know functional adult to think, okay, so now, you know, 
beyond his grave, he's going to have me killed. Hmm. Uh, but that's a hard thing to unlearn or unbelieve when you're told and believe it for you know, the form of years of your childhood. But when somebody, you know, if I've presented or disclosed and, and somebody is sympathetic, then I feel, you know, humbled um, and uh, I feel that compassion. Uh, and it's a good thing. It's a difficult thing, but it's a good thing. And that vulnerability is, uh, you know, scary, uh, but important. You were how old when your dad died? 21. I was in my uh, senior year of college working on a triple major. Um, and um, in the second semester of senior year, I was taking, you know, something insane, 22 credit hours or something. And, um he was in St. Louis. Actually, no, that's not true. He was on vacation with my mother uh, in Mexico. Um, and my brother uh, was in St. Louis, and he called me and said, Dad just died. Um, and I was, like I said, I was in my was February of 1992. Um, and uh, I was just blown away. Uh, Robert, you have a, a brother? Do you have any other siblings? I have a half-brother I'm not in touch with, uh, older, and then I have uh, an older biological brother, yeah. Okay, and, and is your mom still still with us? She is, she is. So, you know, obviously people listening to your story would go, well, how, what, your mother didn't know? She didn't, sus- there was no, your brother, was he a victim as well? I mean, somebody else must have known something, no? So, he, when he had started the grooming, he had included my brother... Uh, for like the first year or so, and then just stopped. And my brother knew as a child, uh, but then, same as I, as soon as the abuse uh, stopped, he just forgot about it. Um, I mean, I guess that's how the brain works in some cases. Um, but he would, like my dad would assault me at, at night, and he would take me from our room uh, to another room, and my brother was there, and when I'd come back, he'd ask us, you know, to talk about it, or... Uh, that I need a hug or something. So during the abuse years, when he was only you know two years older than I am, but during those years he would do what he could, but I sure wasn't going to stand up to the, to the man. And my mom, um, she was her, you know, a victim as well. I mean, he was. We have very vivid memories of him beating her. Um, so she was a victim of domestic violence, um, and then of course uh, alcoholism played a part in her uh, in her blindness. Um, what what was you reconciled? Oh, oh, okay. Hold on. Who who reconciled? You and uh, my mom and I. I did. I, mean, I had off and on years of therapy, and uh, in my thirties, uh, I arranged for a therapy session with my wife and my therapist and my mom, and disclosed to her uh, was the first step because um, I was terrified that if I told anybody in the family, they would all just disown me for speaking out against you know who was considered the a great, great man. Um, so we did that work, and then after that work, did the work of you failed me, Mom, um, and you know, did that work. It was difficult and important, uh, but you know, I have a great, loving relationship with her. What was your father's funeral like for you? <laughs> um, so uh, that was during the time that I didn't remember the abuse, and I gave his eulogy. Um, which is a painful thing to have in mind, um, having, you know, now absolutely, I think, uh, I hope, 
every memory there is about the you know, decade year of abuse, you know, decades long abuse. Um, so it was difficult. I mean, I, you know, that was 1992, um, and uh, as I say, I was in college. Uh, I didn't remember any of the abuse other than the physical abuse and, and seeing her mom get abused. Um, but he was this phenomenal man. You know, he pulled up, you know, by his own bootstraps kind of thing, right? Grew up in poverty, uh, was the first to go to college and then to medical school, and you know, extremely successful businessman, extremely successful doctor, and you know, it was a, it was a big deal. Um, and I, yeah, I gave his eulogy, which I don't know, you know, there's the F word. Uh, it's not the four-letter version; it's the seven-letter version. Right? I haven't done my work on forgiveness. Um, I'm him. Um, but this is what I hear. You're going to hate the way I phrase this, but I think you know exactly where I'm going with this. This is what I hear about forgiveness. If you just trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, he'll help you and heal you, and you'll be able to forgive your father, and all will be peachy. Your thoughts on that? <laughs> I, um, I have a slightly different <laughs> question. Uh, and by the way, I'm not. I don't mean to make like I know it's. Well, I'm making a little bit of a. But it's what I'm saying is, it's just there's the people in the speaking circuits out there, you know, getting paid to tell everyone how awesome Jesus is, and you know, part of their journey is this horrific stuff they've and all, and they've just been able to forgive, and it's only because of God. It's a, okay. I get that that there's that that has been maybe their experience, but come on, I just have a hard time with this broad brush stroke of come to Jesus and everything's going to be peachy. Yeah, well, I, I have come to Jesus, but I have not forgiven my father. Um, and then there's just all that turmoil. Uh, you know, I, I had the good fortune, as you mentioned, of meeting and, and spending time with Paul Young, and, and we talked about forgiveness, and we talked about... Uh, well, because uh, Paul was abused as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was a remarkable thing to meet him. Um and share with him that I, and it, it, it felt as if he wrote that book for me, um, because it was so uh, close to home, uh, with so much conflict. Um, yeah, so I, you know, yeah, Jesus was messy, and my faith was messy, um, but I know God was there. You know, that's the crazier part, but I know God was there. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. Even one of my interns just had her head twitch a little bit here in the studio. <laughs> So this is what I heard you just say. I heard you say, Robert, that I know God was there when my father was suffocating me and uh, and sexually abusing me at the same time. I know my I know God was there when my father was selling me to other men so that he could get access to other boys. I know God was there. Is that what I heard you yeah. say? That's correct. Dude, come on. Yeah, I know. I, you know, um, I I can't, I don't have any other way of explaining it. I was born with hope, um, and I had, you know, real hope, and I had fake hope and false hope, and I had, but it was all hope. Um, and, um, you know, I, I can give examples. Um, you know, it, it's, I didn't have any, oh, well, I have a vision, or I heard God's voice, or something, which I think is a little on the other side of the world. Maybe crazy, um, but there were. Uh, I'll give an example of um, the rain. Um, 
my, you know, I was an intact family. You know, mom and dad, you know, lived in the same house. And um, if it rained hard enough, uh, my dad wouldn't come uh, to take me uh, from my room to assault me. Um, because if it rained hard enough, my mom would come and check on us, and she knew uh, I was afraid of rainstorms. And it was moments where I, you know, would feel like I, if I prayed hard enough, uh, a storm would come, uh, and she would come, and he wouldn't. Uh, and so that night I wasn't abused. Um, I had, uh, um, you know... Certainly, you've heard from other traumatic experiences where people um, start to dissociate. I felt like that was a gift um, from God that uh, sometimes I would leave my body from the abuse. Um, dreams were a very big part of my survival. Um, and, you know, it's, you can't, I'm not a person who memorizes the Bible. I think it was Joseph that was at the uh, prophetic or uh, dreams that were you know, gifts from God. I had. Dreams that played a big part of um, my surviving um, what happened. Um, but yeah, God was always there, and God's still here. I mean, I when uh, my wife and I adopted our two sons, and um, when we were my my youngest had cancer, um, went through 38 months of chemo, and the first day I was driving to the hospital with him in the back, and my wife next to me. Um, this is more of a prophetic or more of a, a bizarre thing. I, I felt somebody's hand press on my shoulder as I was driving to the hospital. Um, I just got here. Um, he's always been here. Uh, and that is part of my hope, my, uh, my ability to survive through everything. Well, let me just tell you, 15 years of doing interviews... And I can say right now that if someone like you who's gone through what you've gone through can come to a point in your life where you can say, yeah, I, I, I believe God exists. I believe there is a good creator. And man, does that stop me in my tracks? Mm. Well, I appreciate that. That's really uh, big thing to me. No, you don't understand. I have asked people around the world who have written fancy things and done great things and they're eloquent speakers and they believe in all sorts, I don't know, whatever. But there's something about your story that just makes me, as I said, just stop in my tracks and go, well, if this guy... <laughs> I, I have to share something. I hope we have time for it. I, um, you know, I, I read your bio and I know that you had... Uh, some struggles growing up, and, and I certainly did as well. I, one of my negative coping techniques was that I was a cutter uh, for a while. I uh, just hated myself and just had to do that and overwhelmed by that. And I'm right-handed, so they're all on my uh, left bicep. I had to hide them. You know, I couldn't be found out. Um, and in my late 30s, I got a tattoo um, of the word survivor uh, in Korean script. Um, one of the other impacts of the abuse was that I'm not capable of having my own biological children, so my wife and I adopted our kids from South Korea, and so I, I had the word survivor tattooed over all of my scars in my left arm. And after I got that tattoo, my wife said, uh, well, that's it. You know, I didn't marry a tattooed freak, so you're not getting any more tattoos. Um, years later, I am struggling. I'm at, at work. 
in the courthouse in chambers, and I am struggling with deep, deep depression, and I do what a friend calls biblical roulette. Flip open the Bible, and I, God, come on, man, you gotta, you got to save me, or I'm, I'm going off the deep end. And I come to this verse, Romans 5.19, and I read it, and the moment I read it, I feel this the very warm sensation in my gut, and it goes straight up my gut, through my chest, through my neck, out the top of my head, and I feel this great relief. I mean, nearly to the point of just weeping, and I decided I was going to get this verse, um, uh, Romans, uh, vertically, in 519 across the top, so it looks like a cross, on my body. I want to put it on my other bicep. They go to my wife and they tell her, you know, this is what happened. This is what I want. This is where I want it. This is how I want it. This is why I want it. And I said, you know, I just, you know, don't want to, don't you worry that I'm going to become a tattooed freak. I'm just getting <laughs> one more tattoo on my other side for my other bicep. I said, you, you know, you're okay with it. You know, it's Romans 519. And she goes, it's my birthday. May 19th is her birthday. And it's things like that. I can't explain it. That's crazy. Um, the verse is, For just as through the one the many were made sinners, so too through the one the, money, the many shall be made righteous. Comparing Adam and Jesus. Mm-hmm. But for me, in that moment of reading it, it was comparing my father and myself. That there came all that evil and all that sin, but I'm going to be righteous. I'm going to make a difference. Well, if anything, I have got zero to complain about in my life from this point oh, forward. That's, zero. That's, no, I completely disagree. You can't compare crosses. There's no value in that. There's, you know, okay. I have sat among <laughs> other survivors, and we don't compare, okay, who had the worst life? There's no point. We compare our humanity. We share our compassion, but we don't compare our crosses. You're killing me here, man. He's good. Oh, I'm sorry. There's, that's a big... That's a big rule. Can't do that. Okay. All right, you we win. We all have you know, life is trauma. We all have it. Um, but we learn from it, hopefully, and we, we make it better for others, too. Judge Robert Lung just shared a messy, a messy story. And, and if anybody has captured the essence of these journey segments, hope in the midst of mess, man... Thank you. Thanks for your vulnerability. Because, you know, you, you don't have a book out. You're not flogging anything, selling anything. You're not on a speaking circuit. Really, I mean, I'm sure you, people want to bring you up to speak. I'm sure you'd come. But, you know, there's you Google your name. This whole story isn't out there. Um, and for you to be this vulnerable on my show, thank you. I really appreciate it, Robert. That's the dividends of Paul Young. Yeah. That's a beautiful man right there. Yeah, true story. True story. I hope we meet one of these days, Robert. Thank you. That'd be great. Yeah. Have a good weekend, sir. You too. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Bye bye. Judge Robert Lung on the Drew Marshall Show. Cool. I'll be thinking about that one for a little bit. Mm-hmm.